You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Hi, and welcome to SpyCast. From the secret files of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C., I'm Dr. Vince Houghton, the museum's historian and curator. Every week, the museum brings you interesting conversations with authors, scholars, and practitioners who live in the world of global espionage. Join us as we take a closer look at the secret world of intelligence. I'd like to thank our wonderful sponsors, Harry's, Bloom That, and Sherry's Berries for helping to make SpyCast possible. You'll hear more about these great companies later, but first, let's meet our guests. So we're joined today by Emily Branwin, who is joining us via Skype. Uh, she is in California. She has decided not to schlep to D.C. to do a one-hour interview with SpyCast, maybe next time. Uh, but her bio is interesting. After spending several years performing in dark nightclubs as an improv comedian, she decided to join CIA. What followed was a six-plus-year career working at one of the country's most secretive organizations. Her first position was as a disguise officer, outfitting spies working in the field. And many of us know, thinking about things like wigs and mustaches and makeup. After a year in that division, she was recruited to work as an operations officer. Her background in theater gave her the perfect foundation to work in covert ops. And after six years, the agency resigned from CIA to pursue a very different career path, creative writing and performing. She now lives in L.A., writing and occasionally taking the stage. And as most of you out there know, you never really leave the CIA. So no one really believes you, Emily, that you moved on to other things. But uh, you can now find her on social media, still talking CIA. Her handle is at CIA Spy Girl. Thank you, Emily, and welcome to SpyCast. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm excited to chat with you all. And I, I feel bad that you said I wouldn't schlep there. <laughs> Well, one day, one day we'll have you in person. But I was going to say, I miss DC, so I wish I could be there in person. So we did something a little different for this SpyCast. We actually asked for questions over social media, and I'll look to integrate them into the discussion. So I'm only going to call the asker when I find it appropriate for social shaming. And in most cases, we'll keep it anonymous, and I'll just integrate it into my questions. But feel free to do a little celebratory lap if you hear your question being asked, because I tried to do everything I can to put the questions into this. So. Emily. I applaud you saying that you were going to socially shame people. A lot of people are really secretive about that. I, I applaud you embracing that. Yeah, you know what? Some people deserve it, and we're gonna we're gonna take them to task. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start at the beginning. Uh, your your superhero origin story. Like what what brought you to CIA in the first place? Were, were you just a bad stand up comic, and that's what brought you to the agency, or? Or is this something that you always wanted to do? I know you talk about your mom and her influence on you going to CIA. Well, you don't have to say I was bad. That's a that's sort of a negative assumption. But yeah, it was not great. Um, I I was an out of work actor because I graduated theater degree and I did with what a lot of theater kids do, and they go and live at home while they figure out what they're going to do. And I was doing a lot of improv comedy with a couple of improv groups, working at some like normal comedy clubs and some less than normal comedy clubs. I performed at the St. Louis Zoo a couple of times. There's nothing that makes your parents like more excited about you graduate from college and asking them to see you perform in front of the monkey house at the zoo. Um, Never good to be upstaged by the monkeys. Literally, I remember telling my parents, they said, oh, where can we see you? And I said, you know the monkey house at the zoo? 
they said, didn't you perform there a couple weeks ago? And I said, we were so good that they asked us to come back to the monkey house. So I was doing that, and my mom was a huge spy nut. I mean, huge. Read every single book, the Janet Ivanovich books, saw every James Bond movie, anything spy-related. She was almost obsessive about, and she used to, every night, peruse the CIA website for fun, because that's what she did. And one morning I woke up and found a job ad just lying on my floor and I started reading it. At first I thought it was for the army because it said something like, want to see adventure, you know, come see the world. And I thought, oh my God, my parents want me to join the army. This is not good. I was in like a gym class for little girls who couldn't throw balls against walls. Like it was not gonna happen. But I kept reading it and it turned out it was for the CIA in typical and CIA fashion. It was a job that was incredibly vague, but the title was theatrical effects specialist. So I think in my mom's mind, and then subsequently in my mind, I thought, oh, okay, I was a theater major. This sort of makes sense. (laughs) The traveling CI acting troupe that no one really knows about. (laughs) Honestly, I thought I was going to be teaching acting to spies because I taught children's theater, and I was just young enough and naive enough and didn't know enough about the CIA to think, that sort of makes sense. People probably have to go method when they go undercover. Uh, and I really didn't really want to apply, but I was living at home and my mom said if I applied to the CIA, I could continue to live at home rent free. And I thought done and done, because I really didn't think the CIA was gonna hire me. And lo and behold, it just started to spiral and snowball. And I started getting envelopes in the mail with no return address that looked a little scary. And started getting calls from women with one name who you who said they were gonna fly me out to Langley for interviews or polygraphs. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm really gonna go from performing in front of the monkey house at the zoo to working at the CIA. <laughs> and literally that's exactly what happened. So it's not a typical story. There, you know what? I, I've been here a while. There's no such thing as a typical story when it comes to how people get to CIA. So, just another one of the stories. So, but how did comedy end up helping your operations career? I mean, a lot of comedians go into acting. Some more successful than others. Is this a key element of operational work? The ability to kind of think on your feet and act. It's you know more so comedy is interesting. I think it helped me in two ways. I think when you're funny or you have a sense of humor, it can be disarming. And when you're in difficult situations and you're talking to difficult people, and it's humor is just, it's a great way to sort of disarm and to get to it a much friendlier level. And it's, it's just a great way to connect. But more so with improv comedy, it's all about thinking on your feet. There's a little phrase in improv called yes and. So if you're ever given a suggestion in improv, you always go yes and, you accept it and roll with it. And I think that ability to yes and anything and in any situation was really helpful because when I would look at situations or look at challenges, even going to the farm, It's not something I would ever think I could excel at because it was so outside of my realm of experience. You know, I did improv comedy and here I was going to the farm and I just yes anded everything. Because I thought, what's the worst thing that can happen if you approach anything with that attitude? Most of the time it'll go, it'll go okay. I mean, did you, did you stand out somewhat? Because I mean, popular culture has operation officers is generally humorless, you know, the, Maybe you've got the Bond, like, one-off, you know, I get think he got the point from Dr. No. But are, do they, is that fake? Are they generally pretty witty, funny people? Or, you know, do you start funny and the job beats the humor out of you a little bit? You know, I don't think that the CIA definitely, you know, recruits from a comedy, a comedy sect. I was fairly unique. I was... You know, most most people at the agency, as you would expect, come from backgrounds of, you know, former military, State Department, FBI, government service, things in and around that, or have lived overseas, speak foreign languages, have sort of this more traditional background. I was definitely different, but I, you know, I like to think that helped and that made me stand out when I was with a sea of people who were super talented people, but were more similar and I was a little bit you know different and I always think that 
being different really does help. Right. And did, did your acting background allow you to come up with good covers quickly, different characters? I know you can't say this because it's operational, but did, did you have a normal amount of cover stories? Um, did you kind of play with them for fun because you kind of had that improbability in your background? That was my favorite part. I loved that. And I probably wanted to go more method than they would let me. <laughs> but, you know, they would, you, know you could, sometimes you would pick your alias name and I'd always want to be like Emily Streep, Emily Streisand, Emily Miller. Midler and they it was all rejected all of my great names were rejected and then I would go very Shakespeare and like Desdemona <laughs> again you're supposed to blend in and be boring but for me it was always helpful I really enjoyed that part I like taking on a role and taking on a persona and getting to play with that and also I think it's helpful when you're a spy and you're a case officer what you're doing is so not normal because you're trying to be somebody else and I think having a persona and being able to try that different person on really helps because it you know distance you from yourself which I think is is helpful at times is I loved it I just thought it was fun to me that was that was the joy that was the theater of it all is it has this mentality been somewhat pushed out of lack of a better word, uh, at a vogue at CIA, how much has cyber, do you think, in the ability to steal information without having to put people on the ground, how much has this made uh, less of an an impact, or or, uh, let me try to clean this up a little bit, how has... How has the different how have the different collection methodologies, including cyber, but also technical collection, how has that influenced the old school thought of people when they think of spies and and kind of the cowboy mentality of CIA? I mean, I think it had to change because you know, technology dictates that. And if you're going to keep up and you're going to be competitive in that world, you have to be. I mean, my personal thought though is human intelligence is always not always, but you know, it's preferable because you actually see that human being who's giving you information and you as a person can assess whether that information feels accurate and you can read a person and you can see a person, you can see what their motivation is and you can't, when you recruit an asset, you're spotting and assessing, you can't always assess you know, technical collection. You can know if it's accurate and that sort of thing, but I think there's something about that human element that you just can't replicate mm-hmm. but it's definitely definitely changed i mean it's it's not the cold war anymore it's you know obviously it's changed quite a bit and i think that's one of the challenges that agency will have moving forward and has is adopting to that change and realizing where did they fit in in this you know there's nsa does a lot of that technical collection but where does cia come in how can what they do how can how they collect information, how can it complement what all the other agencies are doing to really fill out this picture and really be an asset to what we need. Let me pause for a quick minute to tell you more about Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. So Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who are fed up with getting ripped off, started Harry's to fix shaving. Harry's knew there was only one way to ensure quality. They bought their own blade factory. By taking less profit and selling directly to you over the internet, Harry's offers their blades at half the price. We're talking just $2 a blade compared to the $4 or more you'll pay at a drugstore. Look, everyone tells you they have the best products, and you get inundated with ads all across mediums saying this product or that product is the best. You, the listener, are probably a lot like me. Smart, educated, refined, ravishingly good-looking. Did I miss anything? Right, we don't fall for silly ads promising things that just aren't true. That's why I want to tell you more about how Harry's manufactures their razors. And this is what I find absolutely the coolest thing about them. They bought a German factory, which means they own the entire process from grinding high-grade steel to sending razors to your door. That means they can continually innovate to make your shave even better. Their team in Germany has been grinding high-grade steel into some of the world's sharpest blades since 1920. Today, more than 400 German engineers, designers, craftsmen, and production workers build and operate sophisticated custom equipment that produces millions of precision blades every year. What this means for you, their blades will get even better. Your shave will get even better. They'll listen to your feedback about what makes a great shave and use their expertise to develop products that deliver you that experience. 
What's great? Now you can try Harry's for free. Harry's is so confident that you will love their blades, they're giving you their trial set for free. You just have to cover the $3 shipping. That's it. Your free trial set will include a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision engineered blades with lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. That's a $13 value for you to try absolutely free. So stop messing around and get started shaving with Harry's today by claiming your free trial offer, a $13 value for free. You just cover shipping. To get your free trial set, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel, go to harrys.com slash spycast right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com slash spycast. So let me ask you let me ask you about intelligence analysts. And I know you were an operations officer, so it's 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 like the Jets and the Sharks in many cases when it comes to you know, just wait a minute. Did you just do a West Side story? I did. I did. Or the Montagues and the Capulets. Whatever you need me to do, I can do. I, um, I've never been more impressed. I have <laughs> the theater reference more than you'll ever know. That's truly, that's, oh, we'll continue. I'm sorry. Well, you know, and I know in the CIA cafeteria, you guys did the whole, like, snapping while walking. And when you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. And and, and analysts and, and operations people didn't come together. But let me ask you an analysis question, because this actually comes from social media. I think it's really good. Um, it's a question about comedy professionals having brains kind of naturally hardwired for intelligence analysis. The idea about humor being reliant on like revelations and finding hidden links. We laugh is a good joke reveals a surprising way of thinking about things. This is really what analysts are doing on a day to day basis. Yes. So are you I'm sorry, I'm not quite sure what the question was. Oh, yeah, you're you're just enjoying me talking. Um, I was talking. I was just thinking about the fact that you sang um, <laughs> your jet, and I I was a little bit taken into that. It was more spoken word than singing, but it was a little song time. I, I appreciate that. So the, uh, the the question basically is: Do you think comedy professionals or people that are naturally funny maybe have brains that are inherently hardwired for intelligence analysis, just because of the way they look at the world and the way they find patterns and in different ways of seeing things? I, I do in some ways because I, comedy and funny people think differently. They they think of the world in a different sort of skewed way. I don't think at the agency though it's it's inherent. All the analysts I met were insanely intelligent. I mean, just crazy, crazy intelligent people that I was always amazed. I was always impressed, and I would just kind of want them to talk because I was just it was amazing the resources there. I didn't know if they were, they always had, you know, a sense of humor, but they weren't intrinsically ha-ha funny, if that makes sense. Right. Um, but I think it would definitely be a benefit because people who are funny or in comedy, it uses a different part of your brain, absolutely. And I think that helped me definitely because I definitely saw the world a little bit differently. Uh, most folks who join the agency come from that political world and come from, you know, see the world in a very specific way and because I was sort of a surprise to the agency and I surprised myself by even joining I had, I just did see everything a little bit differently and a little bit skewed let me ask you a question from David Priest, who's a, a friend of, of here us here at the museum and I'm calling him out because his, his question is it it's, needs some public shaming. He asks... Did you, I thought you were going to say long-time listener. Oh, he is a long-time listener. Uh, yeah, he, he asks, what do you prefer as a basis for a joke, a spy doing something stupid, or someone stupid spying? Oh, they're both good. Do yeah. I have to choose? <laughs> no, we can deal with both. I think they're both pretty fantastic. Um, you know, everyone looks at intelligence officers as being the cream of the crop when it comes to brain power, but there's some pretty asinine, idiotic things that are done uh, by intelligence officers. But Absolutely. There was, in 2013, I think it was 2013, there was, the, I don't think it was ever admitted, but there was a case officer, and it was Ryan Fogel in Russia when he got wrapped up it was I, I felt horrible for him but I thought my god how did this all happen how did we get caught with two weeks on him I didn't interrupt <laughs> you I apologize no 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 go ahead no I was just saying like that to me when you said that it just stood out because I thought how did he forget all of his tradecraft how can he be caught with disguise on him with maps on him with literally all this sort of very basic tradecraft something that looks like something from Spencer's gifts but 
it was all on his person. I thought, how did that happen? And I then I just felt really, really bad for him and wanted to give him like a hug. I was like, oh, poor guy. He's going to go back and talk about shaming. I, right. I can imagine. Well, I mean, I think that's one of the things that the public who is outside of this world may not understand is that when you're operating overseas, and we still can't talk about where you were, but when you're operating overseas, you don't really get a break. You're on 24 hours a day. It's not something you can kind of say, all right, well, I'm going to go to the movies and not think about being a spy anymore. It's literally an all-encompassing job, and I that was... That point is so appropriate, and I truly hope that people understand that more. It's not a nine-to-five job. It is truly a 24-hour job. And for some people, when they go overseas, they're working one job, and then they have to work their CIA job once their cover job is over. So they're always working, and on top of that, they're always having to be an intelligence officer. You can't turn that off because... You just you can't do it. It's not the job. And if you do turn it off, that's when mistakes happen. That's when security gets compromised, and that's that's when the real danger comes in. And so it really is all encompassing. That's why you know I when you watch the news, uh, I always try to tell people you know you you hear about a lot of the CIA failures because that's what makes the news, and you hear about very few of the successes, but there's successes all the time, and you just don't hear about it. And we should sell. I wish we would celebrate that a little bit more. And I can be incredibly critical of the agency, and I have been. But I do wish we celebrate those successes more. We celebrate the people who do that more because it is such a, a hard, hard job to collect that intelligence and what goes into it. Because when you see in the movies, it. I mean, it looks really easy, right. really fun, and it's really not the case. Well, I, I make a constant sports analogy when it comes to, to intelligence officers in that it's like an offensive lineman in football, which is the most complicated position in any sport. I'll, I'll fight you on that if you don't disagree, you don't agree with me. That's for the listeners, not for you, Emily. I was going to say, because you lost me when you said football. Right. So, But the idea is... You watch a game, people are paying attention to everybody around it, whether it's the quarterback, the running back, the receivers. And the O-line only gets noticed when they screw up, when they make a mistake. But they're the most important part of the entire offense. And, And intelligence officers are very similar to that. It's that if you notice them, something's gone wrong. And, you know, and they're just doing their jobs. And if you don't hear anything about them, then they're being very successful. I, I'm not sure if there's a solution to that, though. I mean, it, it's you talk about I don't know if there is either. I didn't mean to interrupt. I apologize. No, it's a conversation. I mean, sources and methods are something that we just, you know, you can't divulge. And in many cases, if you talk about successes, you're going to do that. And I think that's hard to do. I, I don't the sensitivity around sources and methods and how really sacred that is and how if that gets compromised, you're gone, you're, you're done. That, that whole line of intelligence can just vanish and so you have to be really, really careful about that. And I don't know if there's a way to do it. I don't know if there's a way to you know, change the media optic and how they cover intelligence or how we view it. You know, I don't know if there is a solution. I wish there was because, you know, I when people ask me, you know, what do people look like at the agency? And I think they want me to tell them they look like Jennifer Gardner or Daniel Craig. And when I tell them they kind of look like my mom and dad, <laughs> they look like your, you know, fourth grade teacher. They just look like, you know, your uncles and aunts. They're a little disappointed, but that's sort of the point. They're truly you and me just doing a really, really difficult job. Well, let me, you you are a woman. We don't have uh, visuals so people can see, but they probably from your voice, they can tell in your name that you, you are, you are a woman. In fact, um, let me ask you about the portrayal of women intelligence officers in popular culture, because you've written a lot about this. You, you certainly have a strong opinion on this. I too have done this. Uh, we both have been asked by uh, major media organizations to co- uh, comment on shows like Homeland and others that have very strong female characters, but also female characters that have a somewhat questionable portrayal of women in intelligence. It drives me nuts. <laughs> it, it, it really does. Because, I mean, and I love taking Homeland, for example. I love Homeland. I think it's a great show. I think it's well-written. I think it's, from an entertainment perspective, I think it's really compelling TV. But people always ask me, are you like Claire Danes in, in Homeland? Is ever, are all the women like that? When I say no, they're immediately disappointed. 
And I said, you don't understand. That's a good thing. You don't right. want case officers to be like Claire Danes because she's a little unstable. And everything that she's done that makes her character interesting in a TV show would be fireable offenses in the agency and really put the country in a compromised position. So it's, you know, and I also hate that it shows women, you know, Claire Danes, she's incredibly smart in the show, but it's she's also, you know, compromised her through sex and through, you know, these portrayed weaknesses. And I think that's, that's sort of an easy thing to do. One of the reasons I like the Americans is because, although not CIA, in terms of espionage, I love that Carrie Russell's character is just, she's tough, she's smart, she's, you know, very focused, she's dynamic, and I think that's a really, I love that way of portraying a woman doing a job in intelligence. So uh, I'm wondering it, what kind of damage this is doing, it, for lack of a better term. When, when is it okay for pop culture to be unrealistic? And when does it truly become a problem, especially when dealing with women portrayals? Well, look, like, we watch TV because we want to be entertained. And truthfully, a lot of intelligence is really boring and no one wants to see a documentary or see, you know, a case officer filling out eight forms in kit and getting signatures done and having to do, deal with all the bureaucracy, which is really boring. And so in terms of just entertainment value and escapism, I mean, it's, to me, it's, it's fine. I don't, I get it. Maybe I'm a pessimist and I'm just super jaded. I don't know if it will change unless you did a show that really portrayed the agency as how it is, warts and all, and how it's more a little bit like the office than it is like alias. So, I, you know, I don't, I I don't think entertainment bears the responsibility of doing it. I would love to see that because I know that, you know, viewers, we get influenced by it. And everyone, you know, for a while, everyone wanted, you know, case officers to be like Jennifer Gardner and Alias. You know, right. Scaling down walls in black cat suits, going, you know, jetting up to Stad, which is not realistic. But so for entertainment's fine. But yeah, I'd love to see it change a little bit just to give the women who do this job and to do the difficult job a little bit of credit. Yeah. I want to ask you about actually the environment for women in the real CIA. Because you actually have a really interesting article on dating back before you wrote, wrote it about before you were married, but dating at CIA and Marie Claire, which is not a magazine I intend to read all that often, but I was drawn to it. It's, I know you do. Yeah, just secretly. Um, but it's actually a really interesting article for any anyone who is interested in this kind of world. But I want to ask you about are there any different standards, opportunities, et cetera, for women? I mean, it's gotten much, much better than it was back in the day. Are, are, I don't think we're where we need to be yet, but are we getting closer? It's much better, but even like when I was there, I dealt with a fair, a fair bit of sexual harassment. There's definitely a double standard there. Uh, there's rules within the agency and dating, and I, I think I get into a little bit that you basically have to get approvals because when you date, even if you're in the in DC, for example, and you think you're dating someone who could be foreign, you have to get that cleared and you have to make sure that they're okay, they're not working from another intelligence agency, all that sort of thing. And it just happens. Uh, people date and they don't always report it. And for a while, a lot of times men would come forward and say, Oh, I made a mistake. Uh, this is, I really did date somebody for a long time without the approvals. They'd get a slap on the wrist, they wouldn't get an overseas assignment, and be fine. But a lot of women were fired. And it was immediately thought of a weakness, and they were just dismissed, and they weren't given that second chance. And I'm not saying either, you know, either party should be. I tend to think they should a lot of times, but I think it's interesting that immediately it was considered such such a vulnerability and such a weakness, more so for women than it is for men, and it's a huge double standard. They're doing much better in terms of promotions and hiring, and it's, it's much more equal in that sense, but there is a huge, huge double standard. There's a couple class action lawsuits that happened a while back talking about promotions and how women weren't given those same opportunities, because I think women were just seen as not as capable, which I, in my humble opinion, I think women are oftentimes much better case officers because we're much more intuitive. We listen better. And if anybody out there is married or dating, you can probably test that a pretty <laughs> accurate assessment. But I just, I, I don't think they get really the credit that they should be given, but 
I think in terms of government agencies, the CIA is doing a little bit better than some other agencies out there. Yeah, I was going to ask that as a follow-up question, because I know there have already been multiple women directors of other IC agencies. The NGA is a good example of this. So, you know, women seem to be getting to the higher levels. Uh, but do you, do you see the CIA as being more progressive when it comes to women holistically? I think they are. And I think and it, maybe it speaks to where the agency is going and it's, try, it's having to think a little bit outside the box. I think because of world events, agencies had to think outside the box. And I think they're now realizing they have to be open to that. And I think as new management comes up and fresh management starts to rise in the ranks, I think women are getting their due. You know, they just, Avril Haynes was a number two for a while, and I know she was really well respected, and it was such a fresh, refreshing thing to say. But I think we're seeing that more and more. Yeah. I'd like to see that more and more. I think it's such a good example, and I, I'd like to see more women going into intelligence. Right. Well, I mean, it, it's it's gotten to the point now where the possibilities are essentially endless. I know that's a trite kind of truism to say, but you know, one of the big reasons to hold women back into going into a lot of different intelligence agencies was the lack of women in STEM because the the inability of women going into NSA and NRO and all these technical collection agencies now. There's so many women in college and grad school and recent applicate uh, graduates who have degrees in engineering and the sciences and everything else. I just wish they would do a better job recruiting, and I think that's more of a challenge for NSA and for the intelligence community is actually recruiting talent and providing them the motivation and explaining and really showcasing why uh, a job doing you know, engineering or doing something technical within the intelligence community is really a value and really providing that because I think having to compete in the private sector is so difficult now more than ever because those opportunities, even financially, are just better than a government job because in the day, it's a government job with a government salary. So right. It's showing, you know, really why you should choose that over, you know, Google or Facebook or any of those hugely salaried jobs we'll hear more from emily in a second but mother's day is just around the corner and we're going to be inundated with ads on podcasts on tv radio everywhere including here but there's something you need to know about many of the other flower companies advertising today they cut corners there's hidden fees and surcharges which means you can might get think you're getting a 30 dollars deal that can turn very quickly into a 60 dollars ripoff plus what you see isn't what you get a lot of times they run out of roses and even substitute carnations for roses. Even when you get flowers, they might be flowers picked weeks ago. You know, we've all had this experience. You get flowers, they look pretty for a day or two. They die very quickly. Some of them don't even open. And they just kind of just stick shoved in a box. Because these massive, huge flower companies, they don't have time to take a designer and actually make a pretty bouquet. The arrangement really comes from a warehouse where they've got minimum wage people kind of just shoving flowers in a box. Look, your mom is going to say she loved your gift no matter how sad and pathetic it might be, but don't make your mom lie and say she loved your flowers. Use Bloom That, the flower company that doesn't cut corners. Bloom That flowers are handcrafted, arranged by a designer, beautiful flowers your mom would buy for herself. They're also fresh. When talk about fresh, a lot of times flowers come from other countries, long way away. Bloom That, they pick the flowers right before you order they last forever uh, we got an order from bloom that about two weeks ago they're still gorgeous some of them haven't even opened yet um, these are just beautiful flowers that are, are much better than what i've got from other places so why bloom that well each bouquet is designed and handcrafted and what you see is exactly what you get and it comes in an elegant burlap wrap to make an amazing first impression boutique quality bouquet value priced look i've ordered a lot of flowers in my day a combination of trying to actually be nice and needing to continually make up for doing something stupid. And I can tell you I immediately noticed the difference between what I used before and Bloom That. Gorgeous, obviously fresh flowers and beautiful packaging. So here's how to get this for your mom or maybe even yourself. Bloom That is offering a great deal. The best price on a gorgeous bouquet just picked, hand-designed, Instagram-ready. Plus, a premium designer vase that costs everyone else about 15 bucks, plus handmade caramel treats, normally $10, but also free for our listeners. 
That's huge savings, about $25, and is by far the best deal they're offering. But you can only get this deal if you first go to our page, bloomthat.com slash spycast. That's B-L-O-O-M-T-H-A-T slash spycast and find the perfect handcrafted designer flowers. You'll automatically get the free premium designer vase and caramel treats, a $25 value. Again, it's bloomthat.com slash spycast for premium design, bouquet, free vase, and treats. Don't wait. This amazing offer won't last. It's only available to our listeners if you go to bloomthat.com slash spycast. So you've already you've also written extensively on these agencies, especially the CIA's relations with the public. And I think that nowadays with the advent of social media and how everyone's on it, um, there is an interesting dynamic happening here. On one hand, people are seeing this as refreshing that these agencies have a much more public presence. But could you see it as somewhat problematic? I mean, the CIA on Twitter, there's been some hits and misses. It's hard. You're talking about an agency that has to be secretive and can't be transparent. And when you're on Twitter, it's just this, it's a huge paradox. And I just think it, it just doesn't make sense. And it oftentimes, because the CIA can't comment on issues that are going on, they just appear tone deaf. You know, you've got huge, huge, you know, issues going on in world events, and if they can't comment on them, and they're in the news, and they're talking about how in 1962 the CIA bought some really beautiful china that, you know, some president used, it just, it's silly, and I feel like they should, they just shouldn't comment at all. I think it's, it's a difficult, it's a... Look, it's hard. Either I part of me thinks either you comment or you don't, or you say, "Hey, we saw what's in the news. We can't talk about it," or you say something. Otherwise, I just think it's it becomes a little silly, and especially when there's you know big news going on, and then you make kind of a funny, cute comment. Right. And it drives it drives me a little bit nuts because I just think like either either talk about it or don't, or do one or the other, and you know either you know, pick your voice. So I think with social media, you're seeing that, you know, people that you follow, they have a very distinct POV and you and you want to hear, oh, this person is really funny about this or they're, they have a more conservative voice or they have a real insider edge and that's why you follow them. And I don't know if the CIA has really developed their voice in a way that's super effective yet. Yeah, they've been all over the place. I mean, the, their first tweet was Fantastic. Genius. Yes. Yes. And then they kind of, they tried to live tweet uh, oh. something. It was just, yeah. And anyway, but can, can you see, are they not, could they be using this platform to combat some of the stuff from popular culture that gives them a, a bad rap or an incorrect perception? Couldn't that be an effective way of using social media? Absolutely. I, it's, it, they should be doing it. They could be doing it. I think if you're going to be on social media, I think when you, I'm sure when the agencies, you know, saw it, they said, you know, we need to be on social media. We're, we're one of the few agencies not on Twitter or not on whatever. So they wanted to jump in. And if you're not amazing at it and you don't do it well, you just, you really fail at it. And they could, they, there's so many opportunities that I wish they would seize and do it. But yeah, oh, absolutely. They could. Mm. And they could do it. And I know that there's, I'm sure people get very scared and I can't imagine what kind of approvals go out for every single tweet in terms of, okay, is it clear? Do we say everything okay? And I'm sure there's a lot of hand-wringing that goes on. So I don't know if people will ever, you know, give up that trust and be able to say, okay, we trust that you're going to do this well and be able to do it in an effective, timely way. Let me me ask you, there's a lot of debate about the influence or the cooperation between the IC and Hollywood. What, what is your take on movies like Zero Dark Thirty and Argo that had had some pretty direct CIA involvement? Yeah, I mean they just gotten like a writer's credit. Uh, you know, I'm torn. I like for Argo. I thought that was it's such a compelling story that hadn't been told, and I liked that the story was told, and it was a positive portrayal. It was it showed the creativity of the agency. Oh, I'm thinking, you said Argo, I'm thinking, yeah, Argo. Yeah, Argo. I was getting confused with Syriana. I was like, wait a minute. That, that wasn't quite as lighthearted as no, Argo. Ben Affleck. Right, Ben Affleck, yep. Ben Affleck did. Uh, so I, I liked that. I thought that was great. I thought it was a, it was a story that really 
helped change public perception, and I think it made the CIA heroes. And I'm not, and the CIA is often not heroes, but I like seeing that. And I think it's it's great. And they obviously it was Tony Mendez, so they had that source material, and that was great. Zero Dark Thirty, I think, was a little bit more problematic because it, I think, some at points people really saw it as more as propaganda, and then you feel as though you're seeing something that's so so biased and it just has that cloud over it that is it's you know i think it's hard i think it it does almost a disservice in that sense when it when it came out there was those close ties and they basically kind of wrote it so what 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 is emily branwin's favorite pop culture when it comes to intelligence stuff favorite spy favorite spy movies like what what do you recommend it so let me let me back this up i was gonna ask you what did you think about what did you think about Argo? What did you think about Zero Dark Thirty? So I'm contractually obligated because Tony and John and Mendez are board members here at the museum to say Argo is the greatest movie ever made. No, I thought Argo was great. Um, I think you're right about Zero Dark Thirty, actually. I think that the movie itself could have done an extraordinary job showing the amazing mission and analysis and everything that went into finally finding Bin Laden. But because it towed that line of being propaganda versus a kind of legitimate movie, you know, it, it forever kind of tainted what could have been a great success story. I mean, look, we find Bin Laden, we take him out. This is exactly what the CIA is designed to do. Literally. But it's a position where if you say you enjoyed Zero Dark Thirty, people will be like, oh, you know, you're just one of them. Like, no, I thought it was a good movie. But yes, I understand that the first the first 20 minutes of the movie, I don't you know, you're going to have 50 different people saying it's pro-torture, it's anti-torture. It doesn't say what it's supposed to say. And that that to me makes it problematic. Yeah. But I mean, look, if you go back to the days of World War Two, when John Ford was making full-fledged OSS supported and funded propaganda films. For, you know, that's that no one had a problem with that. I mean, the 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 Battle of Midway won the best Oscar, won the best picture Oscar for the best documentary and that was fully financed by the OSS. And I guess it's just time period that makes us less willing to accept this heavy-handed propaganda. And you're so it's uh... We're very, we're very similar thinking in that because I was, I kept thinking like when, when Obama said, you know, we got Bin Laden, I thought, oh, everyone's gonna, you know, the CIA is getting it, getting a moment because that's exactly what they're supposed to do, and you're getting to hear that victory, you're getting to see them do a victory lap, and they could be applauded as being heroes because that is truly a team effort, like the hundreds and thousands of people came together to do it and then I felt like it was a real missed opportunity with that movie but um Anyway, I was just curious what you put, you had to think, and I... Yeah, I think Miss Opportunity is great. I mean, this is a moment that they could have really kind of taken a victory lap. And because of all the controversy associated with filming the movie, <laughs> you know, you, you, it's tainted. And that that's kind of... It, it's sad because the people who are involved in the analysis, and it's more than just one person, we can talk all day about how Jessica Chastain didn't do it herself. <laughs> she did everything? Yes. But uh, let me let me ask you a, a multifaceted question. One a favorite pop cultural spy, but also when people ask you, they ask me all the time, what are the most realistic portrayals of intelligence in film? So what is your answer to the most real Hollywoodish kind of spy film versus you know who is just your favorite? I am also I am. A difficult critic, but I also enjoy it. I still like love the genre. Some people are always curious, like, are you just sick of it? I'm like, no, I love it. The Americans is probably one of my absolute favorites. I think it's taught. I think it portrays intelligence professionals, although not CIA or U.S. intelligence, prof- you know, professionals, in such a, in just a very realistic way. And I like that they're everyday heroes, their mom, you know, it's parents. It portrays those human relationships, and so it's something that I always appreciate, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm sort of, I do a lot of peer pressure with it, and people are like, I haven't started watching the Americans, and I'm always like, go do it. <laughs> Watch it now, it's so good. In fact, a very, very good friend of mine, we saw them this weekend, a couple of friends, and they said, oh, we're gonna start watching. I said, watch it now, and literally last night he texted me, and he said, 
thank you. I'm like, can I say I'm right yet? He's like, yes, you were right. You were absolutely right. I heard the Phil Collins movie, music in the first episode, <laughs> and I was hooked, and I, I told you so. Um, so that's one of my favorites. But look, I love Jason, the Jason Bourne movies. I love, because they were just fun, and it's escapist. Some of the Mission Impossibles I really liked, because it was, I took it for what it is. I don't take it as really a documentary, just more escapist fun. Um yeah. I answered your question. No, you did. You did. But let me ask you a follow-up. Do, do you see it as dangerous when popular culture that is that shows the agency or any espionage operations in an, in an, in an unrealistic light kind of try to portray themselves as being real? I mean, Mission Impossible is great. Bond and Bourne are great. But they don't try to take themselves all that seriously. And you know there's a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I mean, but they're like, again, we'll go back to Homeland. But there are others that come across 24 is a good example of this that that come across as being like this is the real story and then portray it in such a bad way uh that that seems i i think that's a bit dangerous i do too it's interesting i did a review a few years back when 24 came back with Kiefer Sutherland and i kind of said that i just said you know this isn't realistic do not take it as such this is not how the agency is i mean in all aspects of it because i do think it's dangerous and especially when you see shows like that and yeah it's just it i found it i do find it problematic i liked and your point is so spot on i'm agreeing with you so i was like oh your point's so spot on which makes sounds a little like self-flattery um well, it just shows how brilliant you are. We're both is, so yeah. smart. We both so agree with each other. Uh, no, I, I agree. If it has a little bit of, an, of a wink, then we kind of go, okay. Nobody's thinking that Jason Bourne is running around the agency. If he was, it would have been kind of exciting. <laughs> he's kind of cute. And I would have liked it if all the officers looked like that. But, yeah, I, that's... Uh, I don't think people took 24 for as an example. And it was, it was fun. Like, some of the... Different seasons were a little bit, you know, more entertaining than others. But, you know, for I, I, it was hard because I, I would enjoy it. And then I thought, oh, God, people are really thinking this is serious. And I noticed by the comments that I got back that people really did think it was serious. And I thought, okay, that that's really a challenge. And I don't know how to combat that. I don't know if it's, if it's not Hollywood's responsibility. I don't know if it's the agency's responsibility or the government's responsibility to really tell those stories and maybe to come out. I've always said, I think it'd be really interesting to be able to tell more of the human stories and the people who work at the agency and talk about, you know, more of those human successes. Like they're, they're doing, they're in terms of other agencies, what they're doing within the LGBTQ community it's much more positive than other agencies and they're really being much more progressive. And I think that's amazing. And I would love for people to hear more of that story. Brennan was a really big supporter of that. And just personally speaking, I think that's how it should be. Right. And so those are the kind of things I would love to see more of. I mean, obviously very different than 20 more <laughs> and that, those kind of stories. But yeah, I think it's, it's hard because then if that's all we hear, then you think, well, 24 seems a little bit more realistic, maybe. Well, let me, let me ask you two broad questions. What's, and then, what's your favorite TV show? Uh, oh, TV show? Um, it's tough because I, I watch them kind of like doctors and same, probably the same with you. Doctors watch, you know, ER and how lawyers watch, you know, law and order. Uh, and it's very, I'm not a lot of fun to be around. So I'm like, that's not real. Ah, that's ridiculous. Um, I do like some some of the older movies that don't try to do too much. No Way Out is one of my favorite all-time spy movies. If you haven't seen that, you should. It's early 80s. Kevin Costner at his finest. I was going to say, that's like early Kevin Costner. Yeah, okay, early Kevin. And we won't give away the ending because it's a great little twist. But um, TV show, I mean, look, it, it, if I'm watching TV, it tends to be for, for entertainment purposes. So it, uh Alias is great. Uh, I, I binge watched it in one weekend because I didn't I didn't watch it when it was on. Uh, yeah, so I had the opportunity to watch literally like seventy two straight hours of Alias until my eyes bled, and I really enjoyed that. And then you know the Americans is very very good, and actually even stuff like Twenty Four and Homeland for us at the museum is a huge benefit because people ask questions. People want to know how real is something, so I can. 
I can I can gig them all I want and say that they're unrealistic, but if they're forcing people to want to know more about how things are in the real world, then I can't really diss them too much for that because that's exactly who we're trying to be as a museum here. I I'm so glad not to give you guys a plug, but that it, that you do what you do because I think the intelligence community has a hard time I think we talked about a little bit before, just recruiting good talent. And if you get people interested in the community, you get people interested in the mission, you get people talking, then you're gonna get you're gonna get really amazing talent. Really what it needs. You need people who, who think, oh, this could be a career for me. Oh, maybe they're doing interesting things. Maybe it's not quite like this movie, but it's getting me to think a little bit differently about it. And I that to me is always positive. I didn't leave the agency because I hated it. It just wasn't a good fit for me. Right. And so I want people to, you know, I have tons of friends who work there, and I'm I'm glad that they do because they're some of the smartest people I know. Did I happen to mention that Mother's Day is coming up? Sherry's Berries is offering huge, freshly dipped strawberries starting at just $19.99 plus shipping. And right now, you can double the berries for just $10 more. And there's even an exclusive offer on top of this. When you double the berries for mom for just $10 more, she will get free cake truffles too. That's like a whole extra gift for free. You can pick your delivery date, and these berries are guaranteed to arrive fresh and delicious or your money back. So let's talk bottom line. You may think you've seen gourmet dip strawberries before, but you've never seen anything like these. Sherry's berries are huge, sweet, juicy, and covered in decadent toppings. Things like chocolate chips, chopped nuts, white milk, and dark chocolatey goodness. Sherry's Berries are that unexpected gift that will put a smile on any mom's face. Surprise the mom in your life with Sherry's Berries at her office or workplace? Now, let me pause. This is part of the copy, but I think this is a bad idea. I had Sherry's Berries delivered here to the Spy Museum. There were 12 gorgeous strawberries. I got to eat one of them. My office just devoured them. They, they descended on them like velociraptors, and I got one stinking berry. I want more berries than one, and your mom does too. Think twice before sending it to her office. Let their coworkers get her own the Sherry's Berries. So the only way that you can get this amazing Berries deal starting at just $19.99 is to visit berries.com. Click on the microphone at the top right corner and use our code SPYCAST. That's B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com and use the code SPYCAST when you click on the mic. This amazing deal won't last long and Mother's Day is right around the corner. So be sure to order now. Let me let me wrap up by asking you two questions that are a little bit more wonky um, to get your your yes. Uh, well, wonky's good. We like the nerds around here because I'm definitely one of them. Yeah. Let me let me ask you a question. So right now it's actually there's a there's an influx of information. It's almost kind of the 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 dream and the nightmare at the same time of an intelligence professional. There's just so much coming in. Further, it's from you know, social media or from real media or from fake media or from Russia Today, which is fake, fake media. <laughs> so when you're asked by someone in the public, what advice do you give people who are trying to make sense of international news today? But so much of it involves intelligence in one way or another, whether it's North Korean WMD, Russian hacks, Chinese economic espionage, Syrian chemical weapon. I mean, you can't escape intelligence related stories. And you as a as a former spook yourself. Sorry, go ahead. You're fun to be around. It was like everything you just said was so sad and depressing. Right. Well, I, I listed all the bad stuff. There's good stuff too. But, you know, when people are like, where do I go for this? Because there, there's, it, not to give specific sites, but how do you separate the wheat from the chaff? How do you separate the signals from the noise? I mean, honestly, I think intrinsically we know what outlets are telling the truth and what journalists you know, are respectful and the, the, they've been consistent in how they've reported on intelligence or on what's going on around the globe. I think we know, I think we're smart. And I think, you know, unfortunately we're so politicized now and we're so, so it, it tends to skew our bias where we want to, you know, favor different, you know, right publications. But I, I think we know, and I, or maybe I'm just being naive. <laughs> you just might have more, giving more people more credit than perhaps. I probably am, <laughs> and I'm probably doing that as like self-preservation, because every time I turn on the news or I read, you know, I get on social media, I literally, I start to like internally weep and think I want to get into a fetal position somewhere, because I think the world's going to blow up. But... You know, I do. I mean, don't you think that? I mean, 
mean, when you watch the news or read the news, don't you have a sense of, of if it's a little bit biased or... Yeah, and I, and I like to think that there are governmental organizations that are above board. Uh, you know, it used to be HIPSI and SSCI were two organizations that were considered, you know, apolitical, that they were going to get to the bottom of things. Perhaps we can get back to that. I'm not sure, you know, they deserve that reputation right now, but maybe they can fight their way back to it. And then, you know, we can have faith in kind of how the system goes. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I live in the heart of D.C. I'm a little cynical about this. It's, it's, it must be so tough now. I, I, I can't imagine being in D.C. now. Yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy. So let's go to something more fun. I, this is the, the last question I want to ask you, and I'm going to throw another sport. Do you, do you just not want any sports analogies at all? or is there... I appreciate it. It's a little bit like I'm listening to something Cantonese, but that's great. So in, in baseball, so we'll move to a different sport, there are all these unwritten rules. Uh, that are kind of not written in a rule book, but everyone kind of understands them. In the hundred and whatever years of baseball, there have been things that just people get, right? You don't throw at somebody's head. You know, if somebody slides hard in a second, you get plugged the next time. There are a lot of things people just get. Are there unwritten rules in spycraft? Are there things that you don't have to be taught in training, but if you're in, let's say you're in Prague, and you run into somebody that you pretty sure work for Russian intelligence and they know that you're a CIA, is there kind of a wink-wink, nudge-nudge, we're not going to get in either, each other's way kind of thing? I always say, it's funny, because I, I had this conversation with my husband a bunch, and he, and he now gets it, because I said, I think spying is a little bit like a gentleman's game, where when you're overseas as an intelligence officer or when they're other intelligence agencies overseas here there's sort of this mutual understanding that hey we're going to spy on you you're going to spy on us all you know same same but i think if you're really flagrant about it and if you're really in somebody's face then you're sort of forcing the hand and then you're like oh okay now we have to do something because you're being so obvious about it but i do think there's a mutual understanding that hey we're all spying on each other that's just that that's how the world works that's how what that's what we do so that's what's going on as long as you respect those rules within the game i was trying to think if i could do a baseball game. <laughs> i can't i was like big poppy don't push it don't push it <laughs> you don't want to strain something trying to well how much how much of that unwritten respect is because you all kind of know how tough it is to do the job i mean that's exactly it i think because everybody is just everyone's trying to do the same job whether you're in the u.s or wherever you're from we're all trying to do the same thing we're all trying to do it out of a patriotism, out of a dedication, and I think there's that respect. I mean, and there's also, which you don't hear a lot about, you know, all the intelligence we, we do, we work together, whether it's the five eyes, whatever it is, there is that cooperation as well, but I do think there's a, there's sort of a mutual understanding that if you play within the rules and you're kind of a, a gentleman about it or a gentlewoman about it, then it's, it, you can go on your way now. I think. What do you think? I, I yeah, I, I don't disagree. I mean, I think that in the age of kind of old school intelligence, when you're dealing with all state actors, there was certainly this understanding that we're going to let you do. It, it's changed somewhat today with the non-state actors and the organized crime, and certainly with the uh, asymmetrical war threat from terrorism. You know, there's no gentleman's agreement there. No, there's not so much gentleman's agreement there. No. But even the U.S. and Russia, you know, the U.S. and China, you know, when you when you capture a spy, you might get interrogated a little bit rougher than you'd like, but you're not going to get tortured. You're not going to get beat up. That's very much the movies. Um, uh, and yeah, there's an understanding that it's kind of a quid pro quo right they go off they go bumping off our guys we're going to do the same to them here uh, and i think that's the agreement that's been around since the very beginning you're going to send a couple of our guys back we're going to send a couple yep. of your guys back well, we just you know you see that you're going to do something okay now we're going to go wrap up a couple of your guys and it's sort of that balancing seesaw that set it off and I think every every country understands that intelligence is necessary. I mean, it's if all of a sudden we kicked out every Russian spy in the United States, they'd get freaked out. They would think war's about to begin, right? I mean, they they would they would think we're kicking everybody out for a reason, and so that it's kind of a kind of a mutually assured destruction of intelligence here. It really is. 
Awesome. Well, so Emily Branwin can be found on Twitter at CI Spy Girl. You actually have a CI Spy Girl website as well. Uh, it, it's worth checking out because you can see all the different places she's written. Again, the, the Marie Claire, which I've, uh, you know, I've seen in newsstands, but I've never really picked one up. It sounds like it's interesting to read now. You're, certainly your article is really interesting. It gives you an idea about how these people who are considered, you know, the top spies in the world are just like you and me. They worry about dating. They worry about relationships. It's a really great way to humanize people in the intelligence community. So I suggest you check it out. That's what I try to do. I, I, it's something I, that I've tried to do because there's obviously different people within the intelligence community who are writing. And I, I don't know if there's a lot of voices like mine who's, you know, youngish and female and sort of giving a more of a contemporary perspective and really what's going on within the community. So I try to talk about those because there's a lot of people who talk about, you know, all the all the craziness that's going on in the world. So I try to put more of a human face onto it. So I appreciate that quite a bit. Thank you. We'd like to thank our friends at Harry's, Bloom That, and Sherry's Berries. Remember, you can get your free trial set, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel, by going to harrys.com slash spycast. You can get a premium design bouquet, free vase, and treats by going to bloomthat.com slash spycast. You can get freshly dipped strawberries starting at just $19.99 plus shipping, or you can double the berries for just $10 more and get free cake truffles by going to berries.com and use the code spycast when you click on the mic. Emily, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here in SpyCast, and uh, we appreciate you uh, talking to us. And the next time you're out in D.C., we'll chat in person. I would love that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on SpyCast. Every Tuesday, we'll give you the most interesting conversations with some of the most intriguing people in the world of intelligence. If you'd like to send us a comment or suggestion, you can email us at spycast at spymuseum.org. That's spycast at spymuseum.org. Or tweet us at INTL Spycast. That's I-N-T-L-S-P-Y-C-A-S-T. The International Spy Museum is a full 501c3 nonprofit institution. To help support future educational programming, please visit spymuseum.org and click on our Donate Now link at the top of the page. Thank you, and we'll see you next week. Hey all, Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to share your feedback now.